Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I think there are some in the media that are probably blaming something on Georgia that's not really Georgia's fault. It's probably more a reflection of the media at large. And by media at large, I'm also going to kind of include social media and message board posters and things like that. There's something that people seem to want to point the finger at about Georgia that's probably more about the fingers kind of pointing back at us, maybe more than anything else. Let me try, let me try to see if I can explain this the way that I want to. Georgia's obviously getting ready for another one of these showdown games coming up on Saturday night against Ole Miss. And by the way, before we're done, yesterday, you know, we had a little bit of pointed criticism for what we thought was maybe a lackluster atmosphere, uh, you know, at Sanford Stadium for the game against Missouri. We're always somewhat hesitant to kind of be too critical especially when it comes to like rank and file fans but I think based on some of the stuff that Kirby Smart said yesterday maybe that topic was justified we'll get to that at the end of today's show but before that on the subject of just the game against Ole Miss we knew that this was going to be kind of one of those series of weeks for Georgia where we'd really kind of find out exactly what Georgia is is Georgia still a national championship contender? How realistic is the idea that Georgia could go for three and 23 here this year? Ranked opponents, Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, and back-to-back-to-back weeks, including the Tennessee game on the road next Saturday, that would sort of tell you everything that you need to know. And what we found out is, is that, you know, last week against Missouri, a good team played well against UGA. UGA, to its credit, found a way to win the game. But it's not like Georgia is just so much better than its competition that it's beating them so badly from the word go they don't even come back from the locker room in the second half. That level of difference between Georgia and the teams that it's playing doesn't currently exist here right now. This is more about the curiosity of will Georgia win than it is about the evaluation of how badly can Georgia beat up all these teams, how many style points can it rack up, how much you know in the way of accolades can it collect. No, this is a team that's going in each Saturday trying to do what needs to be done to win these games Saturday that was proven true once again against what I thought was a very good and pretty impressive Missouri team and the assumption is maybe this week against Ole Miss the same thing's kind of true there as well but as you have another game from for Georgia last week uh, by last week I mean this past Saturday that was somewhat closer than experts thought it was going to be all of a sudden that brings out the anxiousness and the I don't want to say criticism but just sort of the the pointed questions about George I want to give you an example of this it comes from Paul Feinbaum Feinbaum was on the radio station WJOX in Birmingham this week it's the show hosted by Greg McElroy and Cole Kubelik and the subject of Georgia came up and all of a sudden now Paul Feinbaum after touting Georgia what a sort of week ago number one team still the best team in the country all of a sudden now it's a little bit of a flip-flop you know Feinbaum a little bit like a, a politician or somebody you might hear on cable news and talking about the the regular news you know all of a sudden now he's sort of flip-flop back in the other direction to the point now where maybe he's got some concerns about Georgia perhaps specifically against Ole Miss this Saturday this is what Feinbaum said on WJOX this week about that I think they are vulnerable what I'm impressed with with Georgia is they've been tested a number of times now and they've passed but this is in no way uh a, a standalone team that, that is not unbeatable. Uh, I mean, we know that. Uh, th- this has happened too many times. I mean, I, I, I mean the psychological a- makeup of this team, the buildup, uh, the, the way it's coached, I think, is quite good. Uh, but they are vulnerable uh, this weekend. Uh, and, and, I, I, and I think this is – I mean, I, I like George in the game, but, but Lane Kiffin is the guy that sometimes uh, – is, is the most dangerous now in, in big games uh lane kiffin has, has had some some bizarre moments uh this year especially the alabama game but but he's also capable uh of of, of throwing a perfect game and if he does that uh almost will be in it at the end so paul feinbaum says Ole miss is a good team lane kiffin to use feinbaum's word capable coach therefore once again to replicate feinbaum's word Georgia may be vulnerable against Ole Miss on Saturday. And in a roundabout way, I don't really think any of that is untrue. Georgia's facing a top 10 team on Saturday night. Could it lose? Of course it could. 
I don't think it's breaking news to sort of suggest that about UGA or frankly any team at this stage of the season taking on another team that's only lost once and kind of playing at sort of a top 10 level. Of course, almost anyone could lose. But for some reason now, especially within the boundaries of Dog Nation, words like that probably carry a little bit of extra weight because Georgia has won the last two national championships. When a guy like Paul Feinbaum, who has a big platform and a recognized voice, when he says Georgia is vulnerable, that probably carries a little bit of extra weight. But this kind of goes back to what I said a moment ago. I think the extra weight that word carries vulnerable in a game like this or just vulnerable in general is kind of blaming Georgia for something that's actually not Georgia's fault and probably more about, you know, kind of our own expectation, not just for UGA in this given year, but for any team in, in any given year. Whereas it seems like there are some in the media and maybe some on social media, message board, culture, things like that, where they're mad at Georgia because Georgia's not super easy to predict right now. But y'all, college football didn't magically change in just this year, 2023. College football has always been difficult to predict. And as I've said to you before, the inevitability of Georgia in 2022 only seems more true after the fact. During the middle of the season last year, there were plenty of people who thought Georgia was vulnerable last year. They were number, what, three in the first college ball playoff ranking as it is. So ultimately, the overall feeling around Georgia right now is not that different from what it was this time a year ago. So the idea that Georgia is especially vulnerable now, they've always kind of been in this spot around this time of year. There would have been a fair few people the first week in November in 2021 who perhaps thought Georgia was going to easily win the national championship. You know, there there are some vulnerabilities that sort of always seem to be true for all teams during that particular time. In the middle, everything always seems like a challenge. In the middle of anything, everything seems like it's always going to be tough. So somehow there's this blame on Georgia of, ah, Georgia's deficient because I can't confidently predict them to win every game. My response to that is, you know, welcome to college football. That's what college football is. And, you know, this idea that the media has a lack of certainty in Georgia right now that means that Georgia is somehow deficient or to use the same word again, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, of Georgia being, you know, vulnerable. Honestly, I think that's once again, the media, Feinbaum included here, maybe even myself included in some of this. Sometimes we're just way too confident in our own ability to predict games. We're just way too confident in our own ability to beforehand to sort of figure out how things are going to play out in that moment. Now, when the when the history is done and the history has been written, we always rewrite it to make it seem more inevitable than it was because we like the idea of thinking of ourselves is that smart. We were able to figure all this out as it was happening. But while things are happening in college football, it's almost always a mystery. While things are happening in college football, there's almost always – uh, a collection of outcomes that could be possible and in the middle of those moments we very rarely know exactly how it's going to play out so could Georgia be vulnerable this week or next week against Tennessee or SEC championship or perhaps end of season against Georgia Tech I guess or you know at some point in time the college football playoff of course that's the case the same way almost every team is in almost any individual moment this is not one of those things where where uh, I think you know anybody certainly close to Georgia believes this team can't lose. In fact, if you care about some of the analytic stuff and the the advanced stats type stuff, the ESPN Football Power Index, we call it FPI. Do you know it only gives Georgia about a forty six percent chance of winning out the the remainder of its three regular season games? Forty six percent chance, slightly less than a coin flip. And guess what? It would have been about the same last year and about the same the year before that. These things don't wildly change. And when you go back and look at other kind of what are thought to be sort of shoe in teams. Uh, you know, their percentage chance of winning out was about the same there as well. That just because you've got like, say, a 70, 80 or 90 percent chance of winning all your remaining games doesn't mean that well, you may have that percentage chance of winning each of those games individually. That doesn't mean you have the same percentage chance of winning all those games collectively. Of course, it's potentially a dangerous game for Georgia on Saturday. In fact, Kirby Smart uh, certainly believes that. Uh, this is what he said yesterday to open his weekly uh, media availability about the uh, game against the Rebels. He sees a lot to like on both sides of the ball, but this Ole Miss team here this week, of course, there's plenty of respect, and of course, there's plenty of belief that this is going to be a very big game for Georgia on Saturday night. Here's Kirby smart moving to Ole Miss they've got a really good football team um, they've improved when you watch them on tape and you watch the games throughout the year they've improved with every game they've they've played a tremendous schedule some really tough teams they've played on their schedule you know Lane does a great job uh, with his program with his team they've uh, got a great staff 
Um, they got really good players. Um, he's done a he's done an incredible job. You know, the quarterbacks playing at a high level, great backs. Um, I think Pete on defense um, has brought unbelievable energy, and you see it the way they play and the way they attack the ball. I mean, they come after the ball. They lead the SEC, and I'm pretty sure turnover margin. Um, but I know they have like the fewest fumbles and the most fumbles gotten. Uh, they do a great job of that. They they attack that and they really play hard. So if I was in the press conference with Kirby Smart yesterday, and I wasn't, but if I was and I heard him say that, if I put my hand in the air as a follow-up and said, okay, coach, let me follow up on all that then. Based on your belief about Ole Miss, I don't know if you heard, but Paul Feinbaum says he thinks you guys could be vulnerable against Ole Miss on Saturday. What would your response be to that? I'm pretty sure Kirby would very directly and simply say, of course we could be. Uh, of course this is the kind of game in which we could be vulnerable. Of course this is the kind of game where, you know, Lane Kiffin on the offensive side of the ball or Pete Golding on the defensive side of the ball. They could design something that creates a challenge for us. Of course that's the case, and we would all, I think, those of us who are paying close attention, would agree that's probably true. It's not necessarily earth-shattering news to say that Georgia could be vulnerable in this spot on Saturday. But let me conclude by saying this. You know, yesterday we talked about the idea of Georgia and is it dominant or not? And once again, to sort of get sort of hyper specific about definitions of words, you know, I said that that compared to the rest of college football right now, that I do believe that Georgia probably is as close to dominant as we have in comparison to what they do on both sides of the ball in a way that nobody else in college football is really able to do. That we said that right now Georgia is the only team in America that is in the top 10 in both points scored per game and points allowed per game in the top 10 in both yards per play offensively and yards per play allowed defensively of those four categories simple easy to understand but also crucially important Georgia is the only team in America that's in the top 10 in all four of those categories that's what Georgia is it's solid on the offensive side of the ball solid on the defensive side of the ball actually probably excellent on both sides of the ball and that ability to be balanced on both sides of the ball like that that's what makes Georgia dominant it's not super uh, to go use Feinbaum's word again, vulnerable, obviously on one side or the other. It's got an excellent play on a level of play on both offense and defense that kind of creates a level of dominance that makes Georgia different than almost anybody else in college football who's either got a strength on this side or a strength on that side. Georgia's the one team that, much like its two last two national championship seasons, seems to have a high level of strength on both sides of the ball and you shouldn't discount how overall important that is i want to give a comparison here quickly to another team in college football i was looking at ohio state now ohio state was the team that obviously gave the georgia the probably the toughest fight last year and obviously a team to begin the season we would have circled as one of the teams perhaps most capable of giving georgia a tough fight at some point in time in 2023 but Ohio State has kind of actually worked out to be a pretty interesting team because it seems like just as they've kind of gotten one side of the ball figured out in a way they never have before, that's caused them some trouble on the other side of the ball. For instance, did you know that right now Ohio State is second in America in points allowed per game? That's a tremendous improvement for the Buckeyes because last year they were just 24th in that category. And in 2021, they were just 38th. So they've gone from a team, you know, 38th to 24th big step forward this year only one team in America is giving up less points per game than Ohio State is a tremendous defensive improvement but here's the weird irony while Ohio State has gotten better defensively they've gotten far worse offensively they were first in America in scoring points per game in 2021 second best in America last year this year 33rd best like that tells you how hard it is and when I tell you hey Georgia's still top 10 level offense top 10 level defense nobody else is I think sometimes that kind of goes in one ear and out the other because you sort of assume that great teams are sort of great everywhere but being great on both sides of the ball to use this phrase that Kirby Smart uses complimentary being complimentary with an offense that helps a defense and a defense that helps an offense and an overall level of play on both sides of the ball that remains stellar that remains excellent that allows you to be dominant Actually finding a way to do that for most college football teams proves to be pretty difficult. Even a team like Ohio State that sort of plays at a college football playoff level and begins a season with national championship aspirations. As they figured out their defense, their offense is sort of falling apart, at least based on their typical standards. When they were scoring a million points per game, they couldn't stop anybody. That being excellent, being dominant on both sides of the ball has proven to be a very difficult thing for the Buckeyes to do in almost any other team in college football that you want to examine that closely, you'll find out that being complimentary and being great on both sides of the ball 
proves to be pretty difficult for them there as well. So when Georgia is vulnerable against Ole Miss, yeah, that's probably true. But because of how good Georgia is offensively, coupled with also how good it still is defensively, even if it's not perfect, that level of dominance, that level of excellence on both sides of the ball, while Georgia may still be vulnerable, they are probably less vulnerable than any other team in America facing a team like Ole Miss there on Saturday. It is not a guaranteed win, and it is not a guaranteed easy roller skate towards victory Saturday night. But it's the kind of game that you should expect Georgia to win because right now, Georgia, in my mind, has the look of the number one team in the country. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We are happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video. We start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, and on the Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, pretty much everywhere you want to find video of course radio athens sports radio 960 the ref podcast wherever you find them there as well just really happy to have you as a part of our program today and a really big thanks to our friends and engineered solutions of georgia making all possible for you there as well foundation waterproofing issues those are big problems that homeowners can face we've talked a lot this week about georgia defending its turf at home being tough there between the hedges creating a great atmosphere well guess what much the same way that georgia tries to solve its problems at home with old miss coming to town when you've got some sort of problem around your home, especially if it's the foundation and waterproofing variety, that's where our friends at ESOG, Engineered Solutions of Georgia, step up to help you. First of all, they're proud partners of UGA, fun to support those that support the dogs. They are longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily. I am sincerely grateful for those of you who continue to show support to folks like this who've shown support to us. That means the world to me more than you ever know. And the peace of mind I have about making this recommendation for Engineered Solutions of Georgia, because... I am aware of the work that they've done. I know how they've taken care of people in our audience, and I know how they can take care of uh, you. So if you're you know, kind of walking around the house, you're down in the basement or wherever, when you see signs of trouble, I want that to be a trigger in your mind. Oh, yeah, B.A. said engineered solutions of georgia one to call if you see moisture where it's not supposed to be wet spots you know standing water in some cases just water trickling into the garage the basement the crawl space left unchecked you know what a kind of a problem that can be let that be a trigger to you it's time to call esog or if you see those horizontal cracks in your sheetrock somewhere or perhaps those stair step looking cracks on the brick on the outside of your house once again, a signal to you to give our friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia a call. They've got an entire team of engineers on staff. That means there's nobody else in our marketplace that can put that kind of resource level towards your issues, helping you with everything that you might be uh, dealing with here. Uh, they're a solutions-based company. They want to solve your foundation, your waterproofing issues. So give them a call, 678-ESOG now. That's the number, dial it, 678-ESOG now. Proud partners of UGA, longtime friends of ours here on uh, Dog Nation Daily, Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a solution for your foundation and waterproofing issues. All right, we are going to get a chance to talk to Connor Riley here in just a little bit. Looking forward to getting more thoughts from him on the beginning of the preparations for a big game coming up against Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse here today. And I mentioned a moment ago that ultimately, while George is not perfect, and while Georgia perhaps is still vulnerable, they are also, in my mind, less vulnerable than almost anybody else in America because of the fact that Georgia is maintaining a level of excellence on both sides of the ball, top 10 offense, top 10 defense, in a way that right now seemingly nobody else in college football can match. That's why if I was on the college football playoff selection committee tonight, I wouldn't have any problem putting Georgia at number one. I also believe that the committee is probably going to put Georgia at number one when the CFP top 25 comes out tonight. Now, many of you don't really care about this anymore. You've kind of gotten tired of these weekly or weekly CFP rankings. I still enjoy them because not only do I sort of debate and argue about college football for a living, but I've also just always just enjoyed this, even in my pastime there as well. Friends like debating and arguing about college football. It's one of the ways we show our love for the sport. We argue about it. And the CFP top 25 each week gives us something sort of fresh and new to argue about. And I actually think the argument in favor of George is probably pretty strong right now. Uh, our good friend uh, Heather uh, Denich at ESPN, uh, she at ESPN.com this morning, shared kind of a little bit of a snapshot about what the debate around Georgia at two, Ohio State at one possibly is. Let me give you a couple of sentences here from her just as a way of sort of setting up our conversation. 
In the discussion about Ohio State at number one, and could the Buckeyes stay there, she writes, it didn't help Ohio State that Notre Dame dropped to three losses after losing at Clemson, which is a four-loss team. It also didn't help Georgia that Florida lost at home to Arkansas, and the Gators now a four-loss team too. One of the reasons Georgia was number two and ahead of Michigan last week was because the committee valued its wins against Kentucky and Florida more than any opponents the Wolverines had defeated. Another consideration is how valuable the win against Missouri was, and that will be determined in part by how far the Tigers fall here tonight. That means when the rankings come out later on this evening. Dennich goes on to write, if Georgia earns a promotion to the top spot Tuesday, it would most likely be justified by the committee deeming the Bulldogs a better team while citing Ohio State's first-half struggles at Rutgers. They'd also have to explain, though, how that was different than Georgia's first-half struggles against Missouri. Well, this is where Heather sort of does her Heather-type thing here. The difference between... <laughs> Georgia and Missouri and uh, Ohio State and Rutgers is Missouri was the 12th ranked team in America Heather come on now you know better than that uh perhaps you do uh anyway so that's Heather Dennett sort of making the case for Georgia and Ohio State the debate that's going to take place there but citing all of this stuff the fact that you know truly legitimately objectively the thing that Ohio State sort of you know hung its hat on here as of late is you know the idea that its resume the pair of wins that it has against Penn State and against uh notre dame start to falter a little bit on the notre dame side because notre dame did lose again penn state will still be ranked high tonight of course that still looks like a really good win for ohio state maybe that's enough to keep him at number one but with so few of the top teams losing last week you got to think there's going to be some attempt to create some drama and it feels like now that georgia has a ranked win against a team that was uh number 12 last week and ultimately it's probably more of the last week's rankings they look at when you kind of determine the value of the uh, of the most recent win i think that'll probably be enough to get georgia to that number one spot you know um you know michigan's got the game against penn state you know, it sort of feels like that if michigan plays well there that'll be the moment that kind of gives michigan the juice here but i, I I'll, I'll talk more about this later on the show i still remain somewhat intrigued to see how openly the committee and the tv show and espn how openly they want to brag about michigan right now you know just given the fact there's a lot of uh, a lot of doubt out there about michigan a lot of debate about what should be done now that michigan has all but admitted it's sort of sign stealing stuff connor stallion is no longer with the program illegally they're still you know sort of spoiling for a fight but in the court of public opinion that's pretty much over and done with michigan is in the eyes of the public guilty as charged here so i think the committee and the tv show and espn i still think they want to tread somewhat likely lightly i should say as it relates to uh, michigan now if michigan beats penn state presumably without the aid of sign stealing well now it's a little safer to talk about michigan again but i believe they may wait a little longer on that which sort of leaves the debate between you know a Georgia and an Ohio State here right now and what's funny is while Ohio State had the sort of resume argument last week I don't think anybody who watched college football closely has made any kind of opinion uh, that Ohio State's the best team in America as, as I said a moment ago you know, this team right now that's just not scoring at a very high clip it's not a very good offensive team here right now so you know kind of the lack of sort of eye test impression the diminished resume now that o- Notre Dame has lost again I believe that might be enough to get Georgia to number one here again tonight. Not Georgia fans won't be celebrating or throwing a party if it happens, but one way or another, I do believe that's probably what we're heading for. We'll make that around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia here today. Now, before we're done, I have a couple more thoughts on a couple of other non-UGA-related top 25-type uh, discussion points. We'll give you that. And you know, yesterday, as I mentioned Uh, a second or two ago i'm always a little bit hesitant about you know do you want to say something sort of negative on the show you know if negative conversations just can be less fun so we try not to you know get too deep into anything too heavy or too negative unless it just sort of has to be said and yesterday we sort of felt like maybe we do need to kind of say something about what i sort of felt like was a little bit of a lackluster atmosphere for the game against missouri i feel validated about that conversation today because of some stuff that kirby smart said yesterday three different times the idea of you know fan generated atmosphere came up during his press conference so we'll deal with some of that here before our show's done today there as well so still a lot to come on our program but for now on everything as relates to georgia big game coming up on saturday against Ole miss paul feinbaum says they're vulnerable how true is that really let's cover that and a whole lot more with connor riley today here on dog nation daily presented by esog 
from Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Connor Riley and I are going to pop on video tonight and do a little back and forth when the top 25 comes out. I, I enjoy doing this. I just think it's kind of fun to do. You know, at this stage of the game for Georgia, they've sort of graduated beyond caring about the week-to-week week rankings. But I still think the debate's fun. And I do think we get a little bit of a snapshot at something perhaps kind of important tonight. Connor, we'll, we'll get to that here over the course of our time, I, I'm, I'm sure. But let me just sort of begin with this, just simple and straightforward. I believe that Georgia will be number one tonight in these CFP rankings. Do you agree with that? In theory, yes. I don't think that – and I go back and forth on this because, you know, I still think Georgia probably needs to, to beat Ole Miss to have the resume – but, again, Ohio State just sort of seems to go out there and play the same game every week. And, you know, yes, you know, they do have the win over Penn State, and we'll see how impressive that looks this weekend. And then they've got the Notre Dame win, which looks less impressive after the, Clemson, uh, the loss to Clemson there. But, again, Georgia, you know, we'll see what the committee does. I think they're going to be number one because the committee feels the need to shake things up and the top nine teams all won last week. Whereas in reality, you know, if you had Ohio State, if we're doing this based in logic, if you had Ohio State ranked number one last week, they should probably still be ranked number one this week based on the criteria. But as anyone who's followed this for the years they've been doing it now, the criteria doesn't really matter. It's all sort of made up along the way anyway. So I would not be surprised in the slightest to see Georgia back at number one. Yeah, so, so since we all kind of agree at this point in time, it's sort of a made-for-TV show. I'm sort of fine with that, and I wish they would just sort of uh, sort of establish the same criteria and let it be made for TV, either around the idea of we're going solely on the basis of resume and we'll sort of ding teams for having what is kind of viewed to be a bad resume, which, frankly, Georgia might suffer from. Or we're going to go solely on the basis of eye test, and we're not going to worry about you know who's beating whom or whatever else. We're just going to simply go out there and look at you know who's the most dominant. That, that to me is the least interesting way to do the, the top twenty-five, I think. But um, I'd be sort of okay with that there as well. But if you start looking, okay, well, Ohio State compared to Georgia would seem to be a res- resume thing, but like Florida State over Washington would seem to be more of an eye test thing. It's like if you look at certain spots in the rank rankings you sort of see different criteria seemingly used and from week to week it seems like the criteria also changes so the one thing I sort of wish as a made for tv spectacle I at least I I at least wish they sort of follow their own canon a little bit more closely in terms of how these things happen in in terms of the spectacle that it is at least it would be a little bit more of a sensible spectacle at that point in time but after all these years this being the 10th year of the CFP that's just clearly from week to week basis just not what they do yeah, all, all that we ask for is consistency. You know, like at the referees this past Saturday against Missouri, I think both sides would say neither – like it was not a well-called game, but at least they were consistent in how not great they were at calling that game on Saturday. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Now, let me tell you what I do think could be kind of an interesting takeaway here tonight. Um, I think that, you know, Washington's a team that I've been kind of – you know, quietly sort of, or perhaps even not always quietly, sort of selling my stock on the last couple of weeks, a team that was, I thought, looking for a soft spot to land. But last week they bounced back and, you know, they got the win on the road against USC, which even with the USC defensive vulnerability, that's still a pretty good road win for a Washington team uh, that's having a, a terrific season. And I think that Washington sort of restored itself here a little bit. In fact, I would put Washington in the top four tonight if I was on the committee and had a vote there. And when you think about how good Oregon is right now, I think that we may see a top 25 tonight that reflects the idea that there's a very, very strong chance that the Pac-12 champion is in the college football playoff. You know, Texas survives against Kansas State. I think we're going to see a ranking for Texas that certainly suggests that Texas is a very viable college football playoff contender here right now. Florida State continues to win. Last week, they were in the top four. You've got to continue to take them very seriously so Connor if you're looking for any kind of like real legitimate takeaway now about what might happen later I think with the way in which some of these teams are going to be ranked tonight it's sending a real message to the loser of the SEC championship whether it be Georgia or perhaps uh, Alabama we would presume that's the matchup here right now I believe the loser of the SEC championship is watching the college ball playoff on television. I'm assuming you agree with me on that. I do believe that's a little bit of a hint about what tonight's going to give us. There's a very real world where I think potentially Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama are the four best teams in college football. And we know 
two of those teams are going to have losses on their resume, assuming Alabama clinches the West this weekend and Georgia clinches the East. And two of those four teams are going to have losses, and I think they're going to be sitting at home watching the college football playoff, as you just said there. I think a one-loss Pac-12 champion uh, should be in the college football playoff. Uh, you know, Washington still has some tricky games to navigate there through the end of their season, and Oregon does as well. But if it's a 12-0 Washington against an 11-1 Oregon team in the Pac-12 championship game, that game is going to be for a college football playoff spot. Florida State, they shouldn't lose a game on the rest of their schedule. Their schedule is incredibly weak, and quite frankly, like they need LSU to finish the season strong uh, because that's, that's easily their biggest win. And if, I don't think that Florida State can afford to lose a game moving forward. And so, you know, looking ahead here, obviously, I think Michigan and Ohio State are both going to be unbeaten when they meet uh, the last week of the regular season game. And much like I think the Georgia-Alabama potential SEC championship game is going to be, that is going to be a de facto elimination game. And essentially a college football playoff quarterfinal, uh, which we've seen some years in the past, but it does sort of continue to build in while Alabama... I think on a week-by-week week, you know, basis has not been all that impressive this season. They've played closer games than they should have. When you ultimately step back and look at the full picture of their resume, it is pretty impressive, and they do have the one loss to Texas. Now, with Texas, again, we'll see how they finish the season. Uh, you know, Quinn Ewers getting him back would be, would be huge, but uh, I, that team is certainly on shaky ground. And I think if you were a fan of potentially, you know, seeing Georgia hypothetically lose the SEC championship game to Alabama, but still possibly getting in, you would need, I think, Texas to lose another game and probably Florida State as well if you wanted to see two SEC teams in the college football playoffs. Let's move on here to Georgia against Ole Miss on Saturday. The word of the day, I guess, has sort of been vulnerable. Paul Feinbaum said he thought Georgia might be vulnerable against Ole Miss, and I don't disagree with that. However, I also have to admit, I believe that Missouri is probably a better team than Ole Miss is. Now, the caveat to that is I've been wrong about Ole Miss so much that maybe my opinion on the Rebels isn't worth very much. Uh, but I believe the best team that Georgia's likely to play in the regular season was last Saturday. I believe its toughest game is probably two weeks from now at Tennessee. I think the road environment could be tricky, especially if Georgia's already racked up and kind of salted away the East. That might make that even a little bit more of a tricky type scenario for Georgia, uh, which sort of leaves Ole Miss kind of in the middle of all of that. So how tough of a game do you view Ole Miss to be for Georgia here this week? I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this Georgia defense plays without Jamon Dumas Johnson. Uh, this is an Ole Miss rushing attack that is, I think, going to be the best one Georgia faces this season based on what they do and how they choose to attack. Obviously, Quinchon Junkins is a stud, and Jackson Dart is plenty capable with his legs, seven rushing touchdowns on the season. And while I think Georgia was maybe more content to allow Missouri to run the ball, and so I don't personally put a lot of stock in the late-game success Cody Schrader had. I think they would have preferred that, and especially when they were up 24-13. Like, okay, yeah, Missouri, if you want to run the ball and get six, seven yards of carry, that's fine. That's going to eat into the time remaining that you have there. So I, I think that this is an Ole Miss team. You know, when they played Alabama, they didn't play all that well, and it was a 24-10 game. Quite frankly, I don't think Alabama played all that well either. Now you can give Ole Miss some credit there, but you look at what LSU – did to this Ole Miss defense. You look at what Texas A&M a week ago did to this Ole Miss defense. I, I think Georgia's got the potential and, and the players around them to really push and test this Ole Miss defense. And I, I agree with you. I think the best teams Georgia's going to play in the regular season, they played them last week against Missouri. I will disagree a little bit about the Tennessee game next week because, and I don't mean to tip away my pick here, I think Missouri's going to beat Tennessee this weekend, mm -hmm. and, and so I think that maybe takes a little bit more wind out of Tennessee's sails next week. So I think the fact that they come off this test against a Missouri team that just sort of knows how to play Georgia and has the personnel and has geared their team, I think, to give Georgia issues, I think that's what makes them such a tough matchup for Georgia, whereas an old Miss team, I think Kirby knows that this is a chance – to go out and really make a statement, it's going to be a big home game, last home game of the season, and a chance to further, I think, show who they are. But there's also a, a chance, I don't know how likely it is, we'll find out more a little bit today in terms of how Brock has been practicing. I think there's a, a world where maybe Brock gets out there in, in a small package of plays and you sort of see what you have in him. So I, I think this team, obviously, without Jermaine Dumas Johnson, is going to be really interesting to see how this run defense holds up. 
but you are starting to get healthier in some other spots there as well. I want to finish here in a moment, but with a look at some of those kind of key personnel decisions that are coming up for Georgia, I'll get to that here in a second. Let me um, follow up one more thing on this. The point we've kind of made this week is is that when Georgia wins against Missouri and it's 30-21, to 21, it's inside of double digits, it's well within the expected margin of the game. You know, I think there's this narrative that forms of, oh, Georgia's not dominant. And my response to that is, is that I think people think that dominant is more dominant than it actually is, that we see, you know, touchdown wins, you know, single-digit wins. Even 2019 LSU had three wins in the regular season of a touchdown or less. That's a team that most people think of as historic, but during the year, no one was talking about that team as being historically good until the year actually came to a close. Did that conversation kind of take place? And that while Georgia is certainly not throttling every team that it plays – when you look at the overall statistical profile for Georgia, complementary on both sides of the ball once again, that no one quite has the same statistical profile that UGA does. So, you know, based on the most like sort of basic definition of dominance, Connor, I still think this is a dominant Georgia team, but I don't think that dominance is quite as dominating as some people seem to think that it is. And then I think that's what you're sort of seeing play out for Georgia here right now. A, does that make sense? And B, do you agree with it? Yeah, no, I certainly understand what you're saying. And, you know, it was a two-score win over what I think is a good Missouri team. And, you know, if the referees maybe understand what Smile Munden was doing a little bit better there and they don't call that, I guess, a blindside block when he was truly just breaking on a ball and trying to break up a pass that he didn't anticipate being intercepted by Nazir Sackhouse, you know, maybe Georgia scores a touchdown there with the short field and it's a, you know, a 13-14 point win instead of a nine-point win. So, you know, Georgia was the better team on Saturday. They didn't punt in the second half. Again, you know, everyone wants to see those crazy scores and whatnot, but when this Georgia team needed to be great on Saturday, it found a way to do that, and it's consistently found ways to do that. And, you know, look, that was, that was a, uh, you know, Missouri made it a one-score game going into the fourth quarter early on there. But then after that, I, I think Missouri just showed that they didn't have a gear that they could get to that Georgia could. And so I think, again, you know, everyone wants to see – you know, this is maybe where the 65-7 to national championship yeah. game maybe hurts the idea yeah. of what you are as a program, where that works against you a little bit because you've thrown that A-level game in the biggest possible spot. But you look back even last year, you know, Georgia 16-6 over Kentucky late in this season. Uh, Georgia Tech, a game they were trailing in the second quarter. Uh, this is a team that, you know, again, it's just – and we said this going into the week – it's impossible to play an A game every single week. You're going to have games where you don't go out there and play your best. I actually thought Georgia did play pretty well on Saturday and probably even exceeded my own expectations of what I thought that they were going to do. And they still come away with a win in that scenario where, you know, 10-10 at halftime, we'll see what, you know, Georgia comes out and looks like. And I have people coming up and asking me in between an impressive eating feat, uh, do you want to, you know, do you still think Georgia's going to win that game? And the answer was always yes. It never sort of wavered and, I sort of went out there and saw what I thought I would see in the second half. Yeah, for people who don't know, tell people what you did. At the hat. Now, did you stream this? Like, I'm, I'm not super, like, active on, like, Instagram and things like that, so I, I probably live in a kind of a, uh, oblivious world from time to time. Did you, did you put this out on social media? Like, how much attention did you give your feet on Saturday? So there was a before pick and an after pick. Okay, uh, I see. So a, a buddy of mine, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of hot dogs, like any true American is. Um, and one of my buddies all season uh, who also works on the beat and covers the team has been like, Connor, there's no way you can eat six hot dogs in the span of halftime, which, you know, when you're in it, it, it doesn't seem to go by uh, or it seems to move pretty quickly. But, like, when I've been able to watch games from home or things like that, college football halftimes are entirely too long sure. for, for reasons I'm not sure. And so, you know, this, buddy, buddy's been pestering me all season. Connor, I don't think you can eat six halftime hot dogs. And went out there and did it. Didn't feel great in the second half, but we found a way to power through and did what we set out there to accomplish, much like Georgia did on Saturday. Yeah, six hot dogs in such a short span of time is no easy thing to do. So I'm frankly just glad you're able to talk to us here right now. Uh, let me go back to football here for a couple of things before uh, we get ready to wrap up here. And you mentioned the Jamon Dumas-Johnson injury. I want to kind of roll, roll through a few of these as quickly as we possibly can. So is this Raylan Wilson, C.J. Allen kind of filling the void for J.D.J.? Is that sort of your expectation there? Yeah, I would expect uh, C.J. Allen to start, but you're going to see a lot of Raylan Wilson as well. Maybe some Xavier Story. He had obviously played there early in the season, but 
as we've gotten deeper into things, they've sort of moved him to an outside linebacker edge rusher role. And then, you know, one of the big talking points among fans after the game is the play of Julian Humphrey. Pretty well, you know, resoundingly praised. Do you think this is a sign that uh, we're going to see more of Humphrey perhaps in place sometimes of Dalen Ever? I know a lot of the Humphrey stuff on Saturday was because Kamari Last was playing in the star position. Um, do you think that Humphrey's made a case for himself to earn more of a traditional cornerback role opposite Laster when Laster's back in his regular spot? I don't think Humphrey has overtaken Everett, but they've been rotating before, and it's sort of been a 75% of the reps go to Everett, uh, 25 go to Humphrey. I wonder if maybe that creeps up more to like a 60-40 role there. Obviously, Galen gives up the tough first touchdown of the game there. So I'll be interested in seeing what that is. Julian's played a lot already this season, and for him to go out there with the exception of one just truly heinous uh, pass interference yeah. penalty that I don't really know what the ref was looking at on that play, I thought he obviously uh, held up very well in coverage there. And so I think that's going to be very interesting to watch going into this week. I still think Dalen's going to be the guy, but you're probably going to see Julian Humphrey play more rotating with Everett specifically uh, than we have in past weeks and I thought Saturday was an interesting day for Tyke Smith because you know I'll be as frank as I'm capable of being here I think that Smith has proven that he is a terrific player when he's moving towards the football the blitz on the third down play was one of the biggest of the game uh the sack that he got there that's an example of what I think he does well but obviously when Georgia really knew it was gonna be in its toughest coverage situations you saw Lassiter playing in that spot obviously as a way of kind of locking down Luther Burden do you think this is emblematic of what Georgia may do a lot the rest of the season or was this you know specific for this game in other words do you think they are going to trust Tyke Smith in big coverage situations this Saturday against Ole Miss passing team they run the ball a lot obviously but Lane Kevin obviously has a history of throwing the ball well you know in, in big games coming up how much do you think they trust Tyke Smith in coverage I still think they have a lot of trust in having Tyke Smith out there I do think he's one of Georgia's like 11 best players that they have to have on the field and while yes they did rotate him out a little bit he still played over 40 snaps and, and led Georgia in tackles there so he's not gone away completely, and I thought he actually had a really great answer when we got a chance to talk to him yesterday about helping Kamari in that role and what his own game looked like this past week. I don't think it is like a permanent solution, but I do think depending on scheme and what they're going to be going against, it's sort of like a club they have in their golf bag, and like if they know that they need to use that, it's something that they can do. Uh, you know, Maybe not necessarily against Ole Miss, but against a team like Tennessee that wants to spread you out. Uh, maybe that is something where they go and they, you know, going to dare him to play in coverage a little bit more. But Ole Miss is a primary running team. Tennessee is at its best when it's running the football, and Alabama is as well. And I think you're going to need Tyke Smith in all three of those games to go out there and make plays in terms of stopping the run and knowing as well that, you know, passing may not be the strength of those teams the way I think it potentially was for Missouri on Saturday. And then finally this, I'll try to combine a lot of things into one. Did you think the offensive line played poorly on Saturday or at least less than the standard you've come to expect from Georgia? Is Amarius Mims ready to come back? And if he does, how does that shape shift the rest of the line? So, yes, they played less than their own standard, but that speaks to the standard that they play at, which is always so high. I thought two of those three sacks were on Carson Beck or, or not specifically the offensive line there, and they probably played maybe a little bit better than some people might think. Missouri just also look. They know defensively how to sort of frustrate this Georgia front. That You saw them do it a year ago. They did it again at times on Saturday. And so I do think that this group is going to be fine. Uh, you know, I'll be really interested in, in if we see Mims this week. Uh, I think it's now been seven, maybe eight weeks since that initial injury against South Carolina. And it's clear they trust Xavier Truss at that right tackle position. And, you know, whether they move him back to guard, ultimately we'll see. They were rotating between Dylan Fairchild and Michael Morris still. I think Amarius Mims has to go out and prove in practice that he's 100%, that he wants to be out there, that he is the guy that should be Georgia's starting right tackle. Because obviously, you know, from a raw talent standpoint, he's maybe Georgia's best offensive lineman. But he's got to do, and Kirby Smart has said this, he's got to do the things during the week that show that he wants to be that guy so that Georgia knows that they can trust him on Saturday and he's not thinking about protecting that ankle and protecting himself and instead just going out there and being the best version of Amarius Mims. 
It's a really interesting point. Cer- certainly something worth watching. Connor, we appreciate your time on our program here today. I'll see you tonight on video for a reaction to the top 25. I promise you I'll take it way too seriously and uh, <laughs> give you far stronger opinions than the event actually deserves. But that's kind of fun this time of year. I'll also enjoy reading everything from you coming up there at DogNation.com in the days to come there as well. And back here again on Dog Nation Daily presented by ESOG there as well. Connor, thank you so much for your time. Yep, I'll have my tinfoil hat ready to go. Look forward to it. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So there's one thing that Connor said there that I think that if you're a Georgia fan, it's time to probably start thinking about a little bit. Probably not time to start thinking about it too much yet because there's more you know, big things coming up before you get there. But I believe the atmosphere around Georgia and Alabama tonight, or not tonight, the, the atmosphere around Georgia and Alabama in December could be very, very big because – you're already seeing a little bit of a growth in perception around Alabama. Now, we said yesterday, you know, it's like, don't make too much of Alabama becoming the third team this year to beat LSU. But Alabama is, you know, inside track towards winning the SEC West. They would obviously be expected to win their upcoming games there as well. And, you know, the idea of Georgia-Bama again would be big in its own right. But if there really is the thought that the, uh, you know, the Pac-12 champ is is in the playoff that that texas florida state sort of fighting for a playoff spot the big 10 runner-up like a year ago that team probably doesn't make it the sec runner-up like 2021 that team probably doesn't make it and so the idea of georgia and alabama truly playing an elimination game would certainly make the stakes of this sec championship bigger than they were in 2021 and perhaps bigger than they've you know kind of been at any point in time prior to this because if you want to go back to earlier Georgia-Alabama matchups, 2020 regular season, which was a pandemic year, 2018 SEC championship, even the 2017 national championship, there was this thought of Georgia not quite yet being on Alabama's level. And it was sort of a referendum on Kirby Smart of how quickly could he kind of grow up and graduate as a coach capable of winning games like that. Well, now the perception is totally different. It's actually Georgia who's won the last two. And so you really do have a competition among equals, at least perception-wise, between Saban and Kirby if they were to battle again. So I believe you can make a case that the stakes in this game would feel as high as almost anything. Maybe you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. Maybe even the 2021 National Championship in terms of you know the way in which a game like this would be viewed and the narratives that would sort of explode out of it depending on which side was able to win we'll talk more about the cfp rankings uh, coming up in a moment prior to that let me remind you we are cruising around the sec courtesy of royal Caribbean. i'll tell you what the last couple of years the thing that's been so much fun to me is getting together with all these georgia fans on our dog nation cruise in april and looking back on the memories of the georgia season that was and i cannot wait to do that with all of you again here this year a because we're expecting of uh, what this season can still have and the memories that can still be collected and b because it's just so much fun to sort of be in that sort of relaxed casual atmosphere uh, with georgia fans in a situation like that to me the dog nation cruise is sort of like dog nation's version of summer camp even though it's in the spring we get away you know we have less responsibility it's a little bit more time to sort of hang out and just sort of chat just sort of be ourselves and kind of let our hair down a little bit uh, perhaps at times a little too much but you never know it, it's all really really fun so we want you to be a part of it our friend jessica slater can help you out with that you can go to her website it's royaldogs.com she's made that website specifically for the dog nation cruise once again royaldogs.com spelled d-a-w-g-s you can also give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 and if you want to email her you can do so jslater at dreamvacations.com so let me give you a couple of thoughts here as it relates to the top 25 for tonight. Like, you want to look at the back end on this, uh, you know, a team that seems certainly destined to move way up is Oklahoma State. This is a team prior to last week that was not ranked either the coaches poll or the AP poll. Uh, they were, you know, correctly put in the top 25 by the committee last week. They go out and win the Bedlam River against Oklahoma. They are moving way up. You know, do they start moving in the direction of, like, say, a Tennessee at 17? Is Tennessee's ranking vulnerable here right now? I don't know that they quite get that high, but, you know, perhaps they certainly should. Uh, they clearly are going to make a, a big leapfrog here. And, and so you start to wonder, well, you know, from a resume standpoint, what would keep Tennessee ahead of Oklahoma State? If you want to start moving the Cowboys way up, I believe you possibly could. Missouri, the team that Georgia just beat, and kind of a resume-boosting win for UGA, they're probably moving back. But once again, how far are they moving back, especially when you think about LSU, Notre Dame, both losing? Um, 
you know oregon state wins but not super impressive you know missouri probably falls back here a little bit but you wonder if they fall back too far just on the basis of being somewhat competitive against georgia and there's some space to kind of keep them somewhere in that top 15 range if that's what you want to do of the team that george is about to play on saturday old miss you would think they have a chance to move up here a little bit because the team right in front of them oklahoma also lost last week there as well but at number eight with alabama things start to get pretty interesting because if you want to move them up after beating lsu which some of the perceived chatter seems to kind of want some people seem to kind of want that just you know a little bit more talk about alabama after a win like this it gets kind of tricky about how you do that because the team right there ahead of them is Texas. Now, I don't think, uh, you know, sometimes the committee respects head-to-head and sometimes it doesn't. This is one of those examples where it can be a little bit hip- hip- hypocritical depending on whatever benefits there there in the moment. Um, I don't think you can move Alabama ahead of Texas right now based on the way that Texas has played. They were close last week against Kansas State, but they were only like a four-point favorite in the game anyway. I mean, it's not an egregious error or some sort of egregious sin that they played relatively close with Kansas State. Kansas State was also ranked last week too. So Alabama may be landlocked at eight right now. Um, I think Oregon at number six. To me, Oregon looks like one of the best teams in the country here. Um, I, I certainly don't think there's any justification for moving them back or moving them down. I would probably flip-flop Washington and, and Florida State. And this is not really a statement right now about who's the best between these two teams. Honestly, I don't know. But Washington is working on a pretty good resume here. And they played pretty badly for a couple of weeks. And this week was a week against USC in which I thought they might lose. But they go on the road. They went on the road and they won that game. Won it by double-digit points. That, to me, right now is a better resume than the one that Florida State has. If you wanted to have some fun with rankings in a somewhat static week, I feel like that's a pretty good thing to do. How about you flip-flop Washington and Florida State at least for right now? I don't have any real problem with that. We've told you before, I think you probably see Georgia move ahead of Ohio State. If it doesn't happen, I won't be mad. If it does happen, we're not going to pop champagne bottles. I just believe it's something that will happen. Michigan, I believe, is destined to sort of stay right there at number three with the idea that if they get the win against Penn State last week ranked number 11, they'd be in a position to move way up potentially after that win. And that'll matter to me for a couple of reasons. Thing number one is this. If Michigan can get the win that we believe perhaps is not aided by sign stealing, just to be completely frank here for a moment, you know, Connor Stallions is no longer with Michigan. Surely uh, Penn State's not dumb enough to kind of keep the same signs they've had in place, obviously knowing that Michigan probably has more information about that than the Nittany Lions do themselves. That if, that if Michigan does win that game against Penn State, that's the kind of thing that, A, Michigan hasn't quite had yet this year, and it would also be the kind of validating performance that perhaps allows them to move past the sign-stealing deal just a bit. I think that game for uh, Penn State is probably important, and for national media types who want to talk about Michigan, they probably need something like that because behind the scenes and on the periphery of the sport, the conversation about around the Michigan sign-stealing stuff keeps getting weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. There are people in the Big Ten, other coaches, obviously, who want something to be done about Michigan. But as I've told you before, the phrase that I've used, I think it remains true. The Wolverines tour are, to a degree here, just too big to fail. The Big Ten can't punish them. The Big Ten sort of passed this off the NCAA. NCAA, fearful of legal action, probably doesn't do anything either. The CFP committee says they don't care. There just may not be an entity out there big enough to take an unorthodox step, an unprecedented step of punishing Michigan during the season. They'll wait and they'll do it after the season once no one cares anymore. Um, But I don't think they like talking about Michigan right now uh, as long as it's sort of hanging around their head. It's obviously a little bit of a, a, a tough thing to talk about when there is so much growing anger and so much growing somewhat circumstantial evidence but evidence nonetheless about exactly what's kind of going on here uh michigan could really use a win this week against penn state to kind of quiet some of that down and allow this to sort of feel like a football team again as opposed to some sort of espionage ring which it sort of feels like right now the the conflict between what people kind of outside the bubble seem to want to do with michigan with what people inside the bubble seem willing to do boy that couldn't be much bigger here right now billy napier speaking out here this week about you know what's going on with his team in the wake of losing to uh to arkansas last week and he's trying to do the whole stay the course thing and still looking for that complete football game and blah 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 and this and that and the other 
I do not believe that Billy Napier is going to get fired after this season. I don't. But I do believe the situation around Florida right now is unlike almost anything in my lifetime where you're looking at the very real chance they're not going to make a bowl. I mean, very good chance of losing to Missouri, very good chance of losing to LSU, very good chance of losing to Florida State, uh, very good chance of, 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 of those things happening. And you would then be looking at a second year for Billy Napier that's actually worse than his first year and and almost nothing to sell through two years of being on the job that would lead you to believe this is a guy that can be a successful on-field coach. Recruiting class right now looks really good. And as long as that holds together, then Billy Napier probably keeps his job. But absent that, I mean, this is as low on the field as Florida's been, gosh, in, you know, 20, 30 years, something like that. You got to go, you know, back to probably the start of the Steve Spurrier time to sort of think about less hope existing. With, I mean, they've had bad, bad seasons, of course, but there was still somewhat hope. And, you know, guys like Jim McElwain or whoever else kind of got fired because they couldn't quite weather the storm of the uh, expectation that existed in Florida. I think after a year like this, what you're actually seeing is an erosion of those expectations where Florida fans no longer have the same level of belief in their program they once did. And even they start to realize how long ago the Urban Meyer era, how long ago the Steve Spurrier era truly are. And most super successful SEC coaches are super successful early. By year two, they are dropping hints about how good of coaches they can be. The last two Georgia coaches, that was certainly true for Mark Richt, uh, Kirby Smart now, Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, the kinds of coaches who win very big in the SEC usually win big early. And coaches that don't do that have a tendency not to win big at all. If you're a Florida fan, you at least have to be really, really aware of this. Very, very tricky time for what we like to call the lousy, stinking Gators. Napier's trying to do what he can to hold it together. As long as the recruiting class stays together, he's probably fine. Uh, but boy, you're moving into a 2024 season where Florida may have as much pressure on them. Napier in particular may have as much pressure on him as almost anybody else in the sport. Now, if they could find a way to win one of these games with the Missouri LSU, certainly Florida State would be the best of them all. You know, maybe some on-field win gives them some sort of level of belief, some sort of idea that things can still be okay. But boy, it seems like Napier right now is hanging on by a string. Speaking of hanging on by a string, and that string probably breaking, Alex Grinch has been removed of his duties as USC defensive coordinator. And this just goes back to what I said a moment ago. Lincoln Riley has been trying to figure out a defense for darn near half a decade now. Uh, you know, really good offensively as the coach at Oklahoma really good offensively as the coach at USC almost no defense to speak of whatsoever this year as bad as anything they've ever had and now the guy that's been kind of responsible for that and, and with Riley for a while here Alex Grinch he's just gone and he's out of a job Lincoln Riley's a soft football coach and he tolerates a soft program that would have never worked for him in the SEC that's why he had to leave Oklahoma that's why he wanted no part of the LSU job and frankly I don't think that's going to work for him in the Big Ten either there's just a level of physical toughness you have to have to compete the two best conferences in the sport I don't think that Riley has it but I think in addition to that it's also a reminder of what I said earlier Georgia being as good as it is on both sides of the ball I think people even to this day constantly underrate how difficult that is for almost anybody else Ohio State as we mentioned just around the time they've kind of figured out their defense their offense has sort of fallen apart and when they had the offense really figured out they had a hard time matching that performance defensively now why is that are those two things related I don't quite know but you see that replicate itself over and over and over again being top 10 level at both is just not an easy thing to accomplish and Georgia has made it look far easier than it actually is USC the latest example of that but don't take for granted what Georgia is able to do and why Georgia is still I believe the best team in the country even if their end of season result here this year can't be guaranteed nobody is as good at doing it on both sides of the ball as Georgia is. And that's been true now for three years in a row uh, as Georgia seeks to win that third straight national championship. We'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I've got more on Georgia here coming up. But first, let me give a shout out. I mentioned uh, first Saturday in December going to be a big one. We hope that Georgia's involved in the SEC championship. We believe that Alabama could be the opponent that Georgia plays. Well, guess what? That means travel plans, time to start thinking about them, time to start making them. When you think about your lodging and your, uh, your sort of destination for that, your home base for that particular weekend, if that's what you're coming in for, our friends at Discover Dunwoody want you to think about this Dunwoody area here. That's right where our Dog Nation World Headquarters Studios 
are located nestled right between two great marta stations dunwoody sandy springs and easy access from the airport to buckhead to downtown on game day or midtown for shopping or whatever you want to do great you know uh things all throughout the city uh those marta stations here in the dunwoody area give you really good access to that but when you make dunwoody your home for a weekend away in atlanta like this you also get a you know uh, access to a couple hundred restaurants like 300 different shopping situations uh, you got a couple of thousand hotel rooms which means you can get great savings and great options to choose from whatever kind of hotel whatever class of uh, category of hotel you're looking for lots of options here in this dunwoody area for all of that so please find out more today by checking out discoverdunwoodycom slash dog nation that's discoverdunwoodycom slash dog nation for more on that all right let me say this here I feel validated that we made a thing yesterday about what I thought was to be frank here for a moment, a little a little bit of a lackluster atmosphere for Georgia against Missouri. Thought fans could have been louder, thought the environment could have been more raucous, frankly thought Georgia fans perhaps could have done more to disrupt Missouri in that game than they did. And I feel okay about bringing this up because yesterday there were three different moments and Kirby Smart's press conference meeting with the reporters yesterday, which the idea of fan contribution to Georgia's attempt to win this game were mentioned. The first of those was totally unsolicited from Kirby Smart. He decided to uh, to bring this up on his own. This is the challenge yesterday that Kirby Smart gave to fans to be at their best for the final home game on Saturday. Here's Kirby on that. We got a hell of a challenge. We got a great atmosphere. Um, we needed to be. It's, it's, it's great an atmosphere in Sanford Stadium as it's ever been um, to help take care of our you know, home field advantage that we need to have. So uh, looking forward to that. My guess is that Georgia fans are more than happy to meet that request here this week. Kirby Smart's issued the challenge directly. And Kirby Smart, to his credit, for a guy that says, like, hardcore football as he is, is more than happy to kind of credit the atmosphere for what it's able to provide, whether that's fans that travel on the road or obviously when it's you know most of your fans 93,000 there at Sanford Stadium Kirby Smart does not shy away from discussing the impact fans can have on penalties in the opposition or just the overall mood and the environment that's noticeable that's palpable when Georgia needs to make a big play the belief in the stadium by the fans they will make that play that's the kind of thing that can kind of spur Georgia on and Kirby Smart has not shied away from from you know talking about that before and this is your last chance to do that for this year, for those of you lucky enough to be able to be there. Georgia is away from home every other Saturday, the rest, or every other game the rest of this season. So this is your last chance to put your stamp and your fingerprints on this team for this year. When it's all said and done, I think you'll be glad that you did that. And the one thing you definitely don't want is remember Eric Ainge a year ago, the 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 former Tennessee quarterback on the radio talking about you know, Georgia being an easy place to play. You don't want Eric Ainge to be right about that. And what you don't want is the Tennessee game a year ago to sort of be the special outlier that Georgia fans got really ready for because of everything that was going on, because they felt challenged, they felt called out. What you want is the Tennessee game from a year ago to sort of be the normal, to sort of be the expectation, the standard that's set week after week after week. I'll be honest with you. I don't think the Missouri game last week was that. I think it was below that standard. But this Saturday, I expect it to um, to kind of be back to where it's supposed to be, back like it was for that Tennessee game a year ago. In fact, Kirby Smart also mentioned that Tennessee game when he spoke about this yesterday. Here's one more from Kirby Smart on that topic. Yeah, the Tennessee game was probably the most impactful game since I've been here. Uh, I felt like they impacted the game the most. Um, uh, can you tell? I, I don't know. I feel like our crowd's really good for, for all our games. I mean. I don't know if you separate it in ratings. I don't know where it fits. I definitely think it was very impactful, Tennessee, and I do think that we need that same impact for this game uh, in terms of the way they go about things and how you can affect the game. Seemingly, Georgia has everything going for it. It's got the best roster in college football. It's got Kirby Smart, one of the best coaches in college football, if not the absolute best. Uh, Georgia's won the last two national championships. It's sort of like the old line at Christmas. What do you get the guy, guy who's got everything? Well, Kirby Smart right now is the coach who has everything, but apparently he says he still needs this. He needs fans to be at their best, at their loudest on Saturday. Last year, he challenged you. If you can yell when you leave, if you can talk when you leave, that means you didn't yell loud enough. 
my guess is it's the same kind of idea he has in place for this year uh, for this week this season there as well he wants you at your best my guess is you'll answer the call and I cannot wait to see how this all comes together here on Saturday night so fun stuff to think about there uh can't wait to see how that on Saturday uh Kirby issues the challenge to Georgia fans. Georgia fans ready to respond there on that. Now, to close out our show for today, how about a golden shoe? Kind of combining a couple of hot topics here for right now. Lousy, stinking gators, always a hot topic. Also, the Michigan Wolverines there as well. So our buddy, the official Ross, sent this to us. He says, this might be an undercover Wolverine giving away all the Florida signals, LOL. So what it is, for those of you not watching, it's a Florida license plate with a Michigan alumni kind of frame around it. So you talk about somebody that's got a couple of tough things to talk about here right now. A Florida grad and a Michigan fan, you're kind of taking heat from every direction. Also, I appreciate the official Ross kind of marking through the uh, license plate there. We'll try to respect privacy when we can. We'll try, we'll try not to dox anybody with our golden shoe. But very funny stuff from the official Ross. We appreciate that. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, how about a Gator hater updater? It's been 1,095 days since Florida's beaten Georgia. That's a fun number, and it's going to keep on going up and up and up and while it does florida may take a bunch of losses to some other teams there as well we'll be back tomorrow it's dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia we'll see you then everybody